0: The days I make something are the days that leave me feeling the most fulfilled.
1: When you don't have answers for things, sometimes it's best to turn to art.
0: Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio,
1: and this is Ward,
0: and this is episode 175. Wow, 175 for the middle of January 2023, and so this is technically our first show of the year. Happy right? New Year! Happy New year. <laughs> Happy New year! It's in the middle of the year, and it was Happy New Year. We're it's middle of January, and it's like 50. What is it?
1: Stop 50 it. Degrees outside. Stop I, know, it. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> it's winter here.
0: I want winter. I want oh, snow. You, I've got. You can I've have it.
1: I've been trying to invite you up here. Come on up. Come I on yes, up. that's true. Yeah, Well, I
0: don't want to you know, <laughs> get stuck on the FAA's, You know, screwed up website.
1: Uh, oh yeah! Wow. Well, yeah, I want to know what the cause of that was. I got. Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Some someone was playing pong or something on the, on yeah. the computer because the computer's antiquated so
1: technology. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. No. I. I've got. I, see, we're. Um, In New York, actually, I heard that we're going to break the record for the longest amount of time without snow. Wow. Something like we're in the 300-something days. And I think the last time that happened was in the 70s. So, I mean, I bought a brand new coat from Land's End. I've got these snow boots that I have yet to really wear. And, like, I just want some snow. So, anyway, going on about what I want. But I just want to go out and photograph in the snow. Photography in that kind of weather is a lot of fun
1: so okay if you say so
0: well yeah <laughs> that's because i do it close to my house i've got hand warmers and it's not that cold oh no it's, and
1: it's, it's not, not the cold, cold. part it, well for me it's 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 the the business casual footwear that i'm usually wearing when i'm walking around downtown oh, i guess yeah, yeah, i gotta get yeah. the snow boots you know whatever yeah. I'll just, I'll
0: i i dress up like i i don't want cold i got hand warmer things i like okay. multiple layers put my cameras in like, you know, hefty bags or Ziploc bags. It looks like hobo, you know, um, water protection. That's what I call it. I think it's cool. So anyway, so that being said, we're in our first episode, uh, of the new year. So maybe this is a new season. We talked about this This is probably, Mm -hmm. you know, the next season. And, um, we got a guest
1: on the show, show. Big big show,
0: big guest. I'm really, really happy that, uh, we have this great discussion with, uh, Sean Tucker. Uh, who's joining us from the UK. We had a bit of a, we always have to figure out these time things. We're all in different mm-hmm. time zones. But uh, we got uh, Sean coming Sean coming up a second. In fact, why don't we just get to it? We don't yeah. have anything else to talk about. Talk about the weather. We talk about what show number this is. This year, if, if we're good, we can get it to 200 shows. Maybe that's next year. Anyway, what do you think? Let's, Let's talk say, to Sean. Here's Sean Tucker. <laughs> So, uh, Sean, thank you for joining us on Street Shots tonight. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I only discovered you during the pandemic. Cool. (laughs) Well, I guess because I just started watching, that's when I started watching YouTube a lot. So um, I've been uh, following your stuff very closely, uh, watching a lot of your stuff, feeling very resonant with a lot of what uh, you talk about on many of your, many of your shows and uh, i've been wanting to have you on the show for a while i've been saying I gotta get sean i think we, we could talk a lot about a lot of stuff and it, what prompted me immediately was the last podcast you're on with the barion x um mm. and who was with you i forgot his name jeffrey already. jeffrey, jeffrey yeah. Sidoris. yeah yeah and i need to subscribe to his show it was, it was mm. a great conversation you guys had and there was something about that sparked me saying okay i got to call you know reach out to you sean and see if you wanted to uh, talk to us about some stuff but uh so anyway i appreciate you being on the show this is ward uh, co-host from
1: hello <laughs> a
0: yeah and uh anyway um i as i was you know i don't want to go into too much of your background because i think it's you got a lot of places we you talk about but i do want to talk about one thing that you were a pastor before mm-hmm. you started photography now it's interesting because when i started this podcast my My first co-host and friend, Tom, is a pastor and a photographer. So Ah. I actually wanted to know, (laughs) actually, I was starting to think about, like, what's with being a pastor and then photography? Mm -hmm. Like, how did those those two connect in some way?
2: I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's not a straight path. But I I kind of know a lot of people who've done very similar, to be honest. I mean, I came up through seminary, and I reckon out of a class of maybe 3035 of us, there are maybe three or four that are still working in the church. And most of the others who left went on and did some kind of creative, something, you know, I mean, so so it, it varies. But there, uh, you know, it's all to do with um, communication, making things still wanting to communicate what you experience of life to other people, that kind of stuff. And I think, I think, when you see, when I look at my group who came out and started doing those sort of things, I, I'm actually not that unique. I no, mean, really I know from no. the outside, it seems like, gosh, that's quite a left turn. But I mean, I'd already, I'd already made a few of those. I mean, I, in my in my teenage years and early 20s, I wanted to rehabilitate lions and leopards back into the wild in Africa. That was where I was living at the time. So, I mean, that was what I wanted to do. And I was 100% that was what I wanted to do until I failed the degree and I couldn't, the wildlife sciences degree, and it was all you know, the maths and chemistry, which I just couldn't hack. So that took me to the church and psychology. And then when that fell apart, it was a friend who asked me and said, well, you know, you don't want to work for churches anymore. You might as well pick something that you love doing anyway and try and make that your job, seeing as you have to start from scratch anyway. Um, And at the time, I'd been doing a little bit of photography and video already on the side of working for churches. So I thought maybe this could work and Mm. started chipping away.
0: That's interesting. Um, what what was it that drew you, to photogra- drew you to photography in the first place when you were younger, out of curiosity?
2: Uh, I think I've always been creative anyway. I mean, I've, I was always doing something I was, you know, sketching animals out of books, photography was or, or whatever it was, or music, I was involved in music all the way through as well. Photography was just another creative outlet, you know, a way to go out and, um express yourself, show people what you see of the world rather than what they see. And I, I suppose, I mean, I never would have conceptualized it like that as a child, as, as a as a very young child, sort of, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, I think it was a little uh, crutch to get people to leave me alone. Honestly, <laughs> I, if I had a camera in my hand, adults wouldn't badger me about what was I up to, because it was pretty obvious. So I have one of these little plastic point and shoot with a little zip zip wind on, you know, Mm-hmm. And I would go around and take photographs with that just as a, I'm doing this. I enjoyed it. People would leave me alone if I did it. And I was quite a shy retiring child. So it, it became a little bit of a crutch for that. Yeah.
0: Did you, when was this? How old were you?
2: It would have been, yeah, pre-teens. So sort pre-teens, of nine, yeah. 9, 10, 11, 12. And of course, at the time, like my, my because my dad left home when I was quite young and my mom remarried, and uh, my brother and I, who were from that, from both came from the same father, Uh, when this new family formed, and my half sister came along, and we didn't really feel much part of it. So I think we were both um, he probably me more than him, but we both became quite shy and retiring and sort of tried to sort of chip out our own identities, even as kids. And I think that became one of the things I did that made me feel like i've got a thing to do or i have an i have a thing that i'm good at or, or or whatever and and not that you know i had any concept of what good or bad photography was but i was the kid who took some photographs on the on the side so that that became a little bit of a an ego identity crutch i suppose
0: it's funny that you're saying that because i had that i had a similar experience to that because i picked up photography in junior high school i guess you kids what is that middle school for the rest of the mm-hmm. world um and that idea of being able to like the camera was also like a uh I don't know like a key to places it let me in and yes you became that person you the, the only photographer in the place you know mm-hmm. very unlike kids today because everybody's a photographer but back <laughs> then whenever we were growing up you know cameras were rare and so if you were the photographer you are the one oh you know where's where's Sean where is Antonio uh, taking pictures mm-hmm. so yeah I resonate with 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 that so yeah. and it's it's interesting because for me I don't know if for you guys but for me it was also uh, you, Sean you said you could draw and do all these other things I was reading in your book you, you can sketch I couldn't do any drawing right uh so like I wanted to go to art school and stuff like that and photography became the way to like it was for me the method that I could get in and, and mm. maybe express myself in some way because I couldn't do sort, sort of other things but it sounds like you could draw and you could do all these other things but photography became the sort of that direction for you and,
2: Yeah, yeah 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 I think so and it's 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 part of a long list of different creators. I mean, I don't, I don't even necessarily think of myself as a photographer first, in some ways, you know, there've been so many things along the journey, and I'm not suggesting that I'm brilliant at all of them. They've just been things that I felt driven to do. So it was, you know, sketching, and then it was, uh, you know, photography, and, and then it was music for a long time. And then it was public speaking for a long time with the church that became a creative outlet for me. And then it was, uh, video work and, and and then it was writing and you know i mean it's and if you take them all away i'll find another thing tomorrow i just have to find a way to make something to share with the world that's what jazzes me up so it, it, it's never had to be one thing only for me yeah and it strikes me that uh, your video creation is kind of a confluence of all that
1: previous experience too mm. you're doing the public speaking you're presenting your photography you're sharing your philosophy yeah. Uh, of things and, and that's, you can feel that force of, of intellect and experience and, and, uh, and, uh, I don't like the word, but authenticity that we feel like you're really talking mm-hmm. to us individually.
2: I mean, it's a, it's, it, it's a direct, you know, it comes straight out of what I did before. I mean, my ex-wife used to joke with me that, I've, that the only reason I started a YouTube channel was so that I could keep preaching. I mean, yeah, there's, def, <laughs> there's definitely a part of that. Like, I got a real kick out of speaking to people and trying to inspire them to get a handle on their lives. And there is, there. I mean, that flavor and that skill set is woven throughout that channel. Absolutely. In fact, photography is often a little bit of a Trojan horse to talk about things that I think are more important. So yeah, I mean, that's I, th- I think that's the way it should happen for all of us. You know, we're always bringing everything we're learning and every part of who we are to try and make whatever we're doing right now, you know, richer and more multifaceted. Can we
0: can we talk a little bit about your uh, YouTube ness, um, if I may? Is that how I found <laughs> yeah, you? <sure>. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because uh, when I sort of joined YouTube, I was well not joined it, but like really paid attention it was really in the past few years. Mm. Uh, You were obviously more involved for a longer time and I'm sure, you know, I'm getting late onto this. Not that I wasn't aware of YouTube, but it just Mm. wasn't on my radar so much. But did you ever expect the the amount of people who are listening to you or watching you on YouTube, do you expect that to take off like that or when you started, I mean, what can you just talk about, like, how do you feel about that, uh, sort of rise in your, um, I don't say popularity, but just that so yeah. many people are interested in what you say.
2: Uh, I, I honestly didn't, I didn't give it too much thought, um, in terms of like that, that bigger number. Um, at the start, I always had this, <clears throat> um, goal of just getting enough of a core audience that they would support me making my own work. And I mean, that's not that's not actually it doesn't have to be a massive number that I mean, there's that famous Kevin Kelly 1000 true fans article where he talks about, you know, how how many fans you actually need as an artist to be able to support yourself. And he suggests, if you've got a 1000 true fans, you might be able to support yourself. Because if those are the people who, you know, buy your prints or buy your book or come out to a talk, and you can probably put together a career with that. And so in my head, it was always about that core audience. And I've never taken that bigger subscriber number seriously at all. In fact, I mean, if you if you go look on my channel now, it's over half a million subscribers. But if you if you also go and look about, at the numbers of how many people are still watching those videos, it's well under 10% are, are yeah, still around. Yeah. That yeah. subscriber number is a mirage, it's yeah. not real. If I, if, I, yeah. if I pay any attention to that, I'm an idiot. It's yeah, far no, more I- about which is the core that's coming along with me. And can I give them things and ways that they can support me to keep making the work that I can? And every day I can do that is a privilege.
0: Yeah, and I, 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 you know, thinking about how YouTube has given us this ability to to do things like this is uh, amazing, and and it's great to be grateful to to YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I I, I know the subscriber number is one thing, but you mm. like typically on on some of your videos, <clears throat> you get like literally like a stadium's worth of people listening <laughs> yeah. to what you're saying and. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny that you said that using photography as a Trojan horse, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I really like because that's kind of how I like to think of, you know, this show a little bit or so. I even never thought about that phrase as a, mm. a, as a Tro- Trojan horse, but but it's as if you're standing in, you know, Yankee Stadium or whatever stadium and there's, you know, 30,000 people or 100,000 people listening to you over time, you know, it's not right sure. away. Uh, not that did you ever expect that, but how do you like... How do you? How do you? um, What do you feel is like your responsibility um, now that you've got this stadium's worth of people listening to you? I mean, do you do you feel that or uh, some? I mean, it would be like if I knew I was standing in front of that many people. I mean, I feel you know we only we have a small audience here, but like I feel like wow, I, Mm. I'm, uh, I feel some responsibility for for what I say and so like. How does that? How do you feel? How do you deal with that? when you have so many people listening to you, you know, uh, monthly basis or something.
2: I I really try and avoid the responsibility thing like because I think that when people say, and I've had people in comments, you know, who disagree with me, say, I I shouldn't say x or y or z because I have a responsibility to my audience. But what they actually mean is, you, you need to give my opinion, not your opinion, Sean, because that's what I think your audience needs to hear. I really think you have to tune that out. And you have to say the things that you really believe, you have to, you have to answer for everything that happens with everything that you say, I think that's the responsibility. But I don't think you should ever be led by your audience. Um, And that's, I I know there would be lots of people who disagree with me, I'm not here to serve anyone else. Because if I am, then I have to produce middle of the road work that agrees or the most number of people agree with. And I think that's how you make bland work instead of saying, what is this? What is the stuff I want to talk about that, that I think is really important? How can I say that the best I can it, as a self contained unit being a little bit self centered in the way that I make, and then releasing it because I actually believe it and then some people will like it and some people won't and I have no control over that percentage. Um, I think you have to do that a little bit when it when it comes to the the number I mean, I I you know, I know you know, I know people say, "Well, you know, you you get fifty thousand people watching a video." Imagine you were standing in a stadium with fifty thousand people watching you. Well, that would never happen because they'd have to pay. So fifty thousand people <laughs> are not paying to watch anything that I'm doing. Um, uh, lots of people will casually consume you for free. I think uh, so. I, I don't take that too seriously. What, what I do, and and honestly, I think, and anyone who's done YouTube knows this that it can feel quite abstract that that kind of thing, because you you, you, I mean, I'm alone here in my house, I make a video, which I've done today, and I've just cut it, it's going to go live on the weekend, I set everything up, I hit it, schedule it to go live, and I forget about it It goes live, and people see it or don't see it, or they comment or don't comment or like it or don't like it. And and I don't really check on it too much. I'm not going there to see how it's doing quote unquote, Mm -hmm. Um, where it really hits home is if I do a meetup, or if I go out and do a talk, and I actually meet real people one on one, the one on one interactions drive home how important it is what I do. But the number is kind of irrelevant to me. Um, Because those unfortunately, are mostly people I will never meet. Um, And if it means anything to them, I feel amazing about that. But I I can't, I can't think in terms of those numbers. And I understand why everyone else gets kind of stuck on that, because they use it as a barometer for success. It, it's not I don't think it is I, I know photographers with much better work than mine, who have a fraction of the attention on their work that mine does. And I let's be frank, we all know some photographers that are pants that have a ton of work, a ton of attention on their work, that that attention or number around the work that you do is not any kind of measure of success. So I, I really try actively tune that those thoughts out.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, um, I agree with you. And that uh, it's, you know, and I didn't want to sort of focus on that as a, sure. as a thing of success. It's just, you know, it's there and it's almost like you can't yeah. ignore it. And, and you yeah. said, um, a couple things on the la- on the show with, uh, Baryanax on Candid Frame, you did say if you, um, if you ended up affecting one person yeah. in this whole thing, that's what made it worth it. So yeah. I, I always understood, like the numbers don't mean, mean anything, but you know, you've affected me, you've affected Ward, yeah. you know, there's, um every individual who watches your your videos who get affected you know um they may not tell you but you know they're out there um so uh but i did want to also what was the other thing i say? ah oh, i just spaced out <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what happens when you well let me I, just say on that like yeah. i
2: mean that's that's um that's really the point is 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 those one-on-one like this meant this to me so so i i that's why i don't check stats but i do i do read emails if people tend to spend the time to write me an email and I, I had an email a few months back with a guy who was literally, I was at my wits end. And he 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 was dealing with a serious injury and found himself suicidal and was going to take uh, a bottle of pills and a bottle of Jack Daniels up a hill. And he started listening to my audiobook that I produce. And he listened to one or two chapters as he was going, three chapters, got to the top of the hill. And he thought, oh, I will listen to a couple of more, walked around for a bit, listened to four, five, six, seven, kept walking. He got to the end of the audiobook in one go and he was back at his car and he got back in the car and he went home and he sent me this email saying you saved my life is, is the title line now like i'm not i'm not suggesting that i'm some kind of hero and i actually did save someone's life because i did something incredible but i i put something out into the world that i believed in in this book someone else took that in and it hit them at the right place at the right time not because i'm a genius just because you get this confluence of events Where something good comes out of it, that one email will keep me jazzed up and motivated for a whole year. I couldn't care what the stats are doing, and I think that's where I I keep my focus is on those those individual personal stories where this meant this much to me. That's everything to me. Yeah.
0: Just I just bought your book the other day, and I haven't. I just started it. So (laughs) Ah, cheers, thank you. Um, actually, what motivated
2: you to to write that? What Mm. was the I was, um, when would it have been, 2018, I think, I was in a a log cabin in Iceland in a storm. (laughs) Sounds like the start of a short story, but it's like it was... (laughs) It
1: was a dark um, and stormy night. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: where where everyone gets murdered at the end of it. But I was in this cabin, and um, I mean, I'd gone to go and take some photographs and make a film, and it was just, you know, four of the five days I was there, this storm blew through with a name. You know, when they give it a name, they're serious. And it was it was just wasn't worth going outside. So I thought, how can I use this time? Well, so I turned it into a little bit of a retreat. And as part of that, I started in my journal, just sketching out the outline of a book, which was on my YouTube channel. I've got a um, a playlist of the more philosophical videos, which are actually written not just for photographers, but for anyone who does anything creative. And I thought, how can I'm not able to say this stuff nearly well enough in a short form video. So if I was going to write all this down as a as, as a complete whole as as a piece of work that says what my creative philosophy is here and now, what would that look like? So I sketched out chapter outlines and how I would sort of weave this thing together. And then at uh, it would have been March of 2020. I was Mm. approached by Rocky Nook, who are a a publisher in the States, saying, do you want to do a book? And I said, yeah, well, I've I've already been sketching one out. And um, it was, I mean, we were literally about to go into lockdown. In fact, I had a meeting with them at their hotel in London because they'd come over for the London Book Fair. But as they checked into the hotel, they got a call to say, London Book Fair has been cancelled because of COVID. So it was when all this was kicking off. So anyway, we still had this meeting and we agreed to things and signed contracts. And then I... You know, going into lockdown sucks, but the good part for me was I couldn't do any other work, and I had seven months to sit and plug away at a book. So I really hammered this thing out quickly because it gave it kind of a bit of a godsend because I could focus on something in my own space and time. Um, that I mean, that's the ideal conditions for writing a book. So yeah, that's that's kind of when I hammered it all out.
0: I just started reading it and, and going through the first chapter. Um, could I read something from it? You, well, can, yeah. I, I sort of condensed it a little bit, but I wanted to read this out to the to the uh, audience. Uh, you talk about this word logos. Um, mm. so that it goes, uh, there's a word theologians use for this idea of speaking order out of chaos, logos. And we get to participate in this idea through the things we make. Logos describes the creative power of speaking truth and wrenching goodness from calamity and meaning from mayhem. It's the lighthouse on the bluffs on a stormy night that will guide you through the turbulent waves into the safe harbor. It is the North Star when you are lost and confused that will help reorient you and lead you home. Logos is our attempt to describe truth, the truth, we all somehow know but struggle to articulate because when we manage to, even in small ways, it brings us comfort and a feeling of togetherness knowing that this experience of life with its joys and hardships is shared by all good art is logos i'm glad we get to talk about the book a little in this part because this is kind of the reason why i wanted to get you on the show as well we um you know uh, both of us well all of us actually thinking of the whole world have gone through some crazy three years right Mm -hmm. in all of its different forms uh you know the lockdown you know, what's happened to you in your personal life, what's happened to me in my personal life. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, you, you spoke about, uh, in one of your videos, you talk about the two halves of the creative life. Mm. And you mentioned, uh, Carl Jung said, and I'm not aware of Jung's writings as much, but uh, I'm interested now that you mentioned it, uh, the idea of the morning and the afternoon of life, spending the morning of our lives trying to define who we are and then you know spending the afternoon of our lives maybe breaking that definition mm. but you know given that we've had this disruption in our lives in the past few years um we talk about that midpoint where we uh sort of cross over from the morning to the afternoon what happens what do you think happens when that shifts you know it gets disrupted you know most of our lives we we have that i really got that the first half the the morning, defining ourselves, figuring out who we are, who's who's um, important in our lives. And then that second half of like, yeah, pff, let's wash that away. But, you know, you had a significant event happen. You got, uh, mm. if I mentioned, you, you got um, divorced, like, was it a year ago or, yeah. or so? Yeah. yeah. Uh, my wife died in June, mm. uh, this past June. I'm sorry. And yeah, thank you. And, and you think about the uh, sort of the the, the compass or the zenith that we're at and how that can automatically shift. And so far we don't have a, a or at least I don't feel like there's a morning and an afternoon there's like, it's shifted. Where's that line? And so mm. uh, it's sort of a long way to ask about like, how, how do we deal with this? In, well, you know, for us, we're photographers. So how do we deal with this with our art, our creation? How do you, um, what do you do? have to reinvent ourselves do we have to redefine ourselves do we start over is it the morning again mm. leading an afternoon do you have any can you speak to that a little bit or you know I'm I I mean, sort of rambling here but no 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 yeah, no yeah, that,
2: yeah. I mean there's a there's a lot to say and I, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll try to keep it short and stop me if I ramble but I I, I think <laughs> with Carl Jung's idea of this sort of morning and afternoon of life like he's he's basically sort of saying and there's also a um Franciscan friar in the States named Richard Raw, who writes about this stuff and sort of takes it a bit further, which is quite interesting. Um, but basically he's saying that, you know, in the morning of, of life, we're constructing our worldview and defining how, what we believe about, you know, politics and life and what sort of house we want, what job, what sort of partner, all the rest of it. We're trying to build something. And then at some point, you know, we th- we're constructing how we think the world works and all the answers that we, we wanna have about things if they go wrong. But then, at some point, and you and I know this; everyone knows this. Like you hit a crisis point where everything falls apart, and none of those answers that you built in that first half of life answer this current crisis that you're sitting in. And uh, you know, this is this is Jung was the one who coined the phrase the midlife crisis. That's why we we have that phrase. And you know, a lot of people unfortunately don't know how to transition through that, that because. They think, well, if I just move around some surface details and stick my head in the sand, hopefully I can go back to those old answers and they still work. So if I just, you know, uh, find a younger wife and buy a sports car, everything will be cool. You know, like, Mm -hmm. and and then I can go back to thinking that's how life works. Unfortunately, reconstructing that box and sticking your fingers in your ears and pretending what's happened hasn't happened will, I think, lead to bitterness and resentment at the world because it it just never seems to give you what you think it should. He suggests Jung suggests and and, and Richard Raw suggests that there is an invitation though to move through to the second half of life where we don't need to define things as neatly. We don't need to nail everything down. We don't need all the answers. We have a greater comfort with paradox and and and, and an openness. And he says that those are often our our village elders. Those are those are the people in society we all turn to. Every single great leader or spiritual leader or whatever that we think about went through some deep pain and hardship, right? That's, that's probably them going through those crisis points and it, it allowing them and them accepting the invitation to move through to that second half of life. The, the thing about the two halves, though, is it's not meant to be taken too literally. And I think, I think people get stuck on this. Okay, when was my crisis? At what age did my crisis happen? It's very cyclical. So we might be in the morning with some aspects of our life and late in the afternoon in others. And all these things are this pattern of constructing and building and defining and everything falling apart and choosing to move through into, into, a, into a more mature openness where we don't need to define as much. For example, I think I'm still in the morning with a lot of my photography. But I think I'm, I'm further along. I'm into the afternoon when it comes to my YouTube channel, for example. You know, so there's things can be at different stages. When things fall apart, um, I think the important thing is to, to stay as present to that stuff as possible, to let it hurt, to let it change you and to talk about it with other people who who care and who are qualified as much as you can, because that helps you unpack everything. And, and there's this idea of liminal space, which just means in between space. So when you're in that crisis point, it means that the old thing has fallen apart, it's gone. But the new thing isn't yet there. So you're in between things. It's, it's where we get our English word lintel, like a door lintel, you're not mm-hmm. in the you're under the lintel, mm-hmm. you're not in the you're not in the you, you, you're trying to leave the kitchen, but you're not out yet. And you're not yet in the lounge, you're in between two things. If you can stay in that in between liminal space, and stay present to it, that is when human beings do their best growing every every spiritual tradition says some version of we grow best in 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 great love and great pain. And when things aren't defined when, when we 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 haven't got control over our lives, because we're having to adapt, we're having to question if we can stay open to that, then then we become I think, more interesting human beings with more to offer the rest of the world. When it comes to how that affects your creativity, I don't know. Because it's different for everybody. Because because what my, what my wife leaving two years ago means for my art now, I haven't yet worked that out. I know it's changed me. I know I've had to do a bunch of grieving and face a bunch of things and, and that life is not kind and doesn't work out the way you hope it would. Um, it's changed my view of humanity, it's changed my view of relationships. I have to stay in that liminal space that in between space and let it do the work on me while trying to stay open and generous and and point this thing towards the light at some point but I think that's all process stuff and it it only happens you know by by staying present to it
0: just to follow up on that for a second i, I also for me got uh divorced in the early nineties mid nineties mm. and um I remember this is also, you know, younger then, obviously, but I remember that like that time that when that happened to me, I, I felt like the worst thing, and this is for me, the worst thing mm-hmm. in the world happened at the mm-hmm. time. Like nothing, nothing, you can't even imagine. I couldn't think of anything else that would be worse.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is a time when like digital was, uh, you know, we're getting into scanning and Photoshop. I can't remember what version Photoshop was, and we're doing iris prints. But I found that I didn't, I could not care less about what people thought about my photography. I started doing all these sort of experimental things. Like I was doing, a, like, remember Polaroid transfers? Mm-hmm. Did you ever do those? I was doing Polaroid transfers of Greek, uh, uh, you know, Roman or Greek sculpture heads, and then I was blowing those up. And printing them on iris prints, and I was spending a lot of money. And I was like, it was so different than the kind of work I was doing before, because like I didn't care. Like I didn't. The worst thing in the world happened to me, so I don't care anyone thinks about my photography. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was such a nice sort of place to be, a nice edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it was like you're saying that in between space, yeah, uh, between this life and the next life for me, whatever that was. I didn't know what it was at that time. Riding that edge was such a freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course then i crossed the threshold mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and got back into the into the routine you know the the okay well things started i started to care thing about things again and i was like falling back into that it's a rough place to ride that middle place mm. that middle uh, place i think is there you have any kind of i don't know how do we is it possible to stay there because i know for me that's where i was doing some of my best work and then Mm. yeah i crossed over and then i got back into my habits and, and the world started again and i started to care about what people thinks and like how is i don't know if there's a way for us because that's a and, and and for it not to be like at the result of some devastating event um uh, yeah okay yeah so i don't know if like yeah i don't know if there's an answer to that or even a guide well, post but like that's the kind of place i would like to to ride on sometimes where i don't really care about things you know but mm.
2: I suppose there's ways you can do that in small ways without it having to be a crisis that so you you can be like you say, constantly experimenting with the things that you make. So trying new techniques. I mean, I've just I've just had an infrared or a camera converted to infrared, which is I've never tried it. I've never experimented with it. I'm out of my depth. I'm still showing the images because I couldn't care what you think. But like, it's just it's just fun to try and a new and a new way of seeing. It's 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 choosing to to swim to the end of the pool where you can't touch the bottom anymore. I think if, if you're doing that, you're learning aren't you like where, where you don't feel in control. Um, and there are lots of ways you can do that with the things that you make you, you know what your tricks are. I know what my tricks are. I know how to make mm-hmm. a video. I know how to I know how to take images on the street in the in the style I do. I, I know how to take a, a serviceable portrait in the studio. I know how to do that. But there are people who are much braver with their art than I am because I, I, I know the tricks that I use. So I think maybe a version of it would be, I'm, I'm going to try something outlandish way out there and I don't have to show anybody. That's the thing it's, it can just be for me, but it's just to stop me relying on the, on, on the tricks that I know work quote unquote, and actually trying something um, a lot looser. and And that's, that's very important for someone like me because I I can be a control freak, so it's um, I think it's just finding ways to to be braver and lose control, in a controlled way if that makes sense. Trying things. Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
0: Uh, how would you how would you how would you you know, like for me for someone like me, there's mm. probably people like who who sort of rely on this sort of, you know, you talked about midlife crisis before. That's a great mm. that's a actually a very good example because it's a great excuse to go off and buy new cameras or do something blah blah blah. But how to not rely on that sort of external event? Um, yeah, you know, I keep thinking of the, you know, the what is it? Nike, go, you know, just do it. Well, yeah, some people just can't just do it. You know, it's not the, it's yeah. not the easy thing to just say, okay, I can turn off, you know, thirty years of experience or, or, uh, you know, thinking in my mind that I care about what people talk about. It's really hard to turn that kind of stuff off.
1: I would ask. I have a question about in this liminal space, and when we're going through different phases of life, or you're, you decide that the type of photography you're doing now is not really speaking to you anymore. So, with all all of these life event with these life events that are, are bowling us over, is there a change in the way? we derive satisfaction from the work that we're creating. Does it have different meaning for us coming out the other end than it did before? Like, are we truly using photography as therapy, uh, Mm. to get us through this period? Um, or, uh, you know, uh, Mm. or are we just kind of going down the same road of, well, I'm in a different environment, so I will shoot this way or adjust my technique or whatever, um. I see creativity as a real solace sometimes, um, yeah. and and just the act of doing it. Yeah, there's the the part the 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 uh, you know the, the need to create something because of a built up tension or or, or a tragedy in our life, um, or just a change in direction. Uh, I'm just wondering what it means for our work and and what it means for our own psyche um, that we're. You know, are we creating, you know, less quality work because of our emotional state, or are we finding solace? And I guess, like you said before, Sean, is it something that uh, it depends on the person? But I think. But that... f- go ahead.
2: No, no, no. Go, go. Sorry.
1: I was just saying, for myself, I really like working in different modes, and. I like to get satisfaction from being out in the middle of nowhere and shooting some prairie landscape thing or being in the city. I recently visited uh, um, Antonio, New York, and just going nuts shooting in the street. Um, there, There's different kinds of satisfaction for it. Sometimes it's a very quiet, contemplative thing. And sometimes it's like, oh my God, I can't believe that I get to do this now. Uh, and there's just these different motivations. And I'm just wondering with you two, if there was... If, if photography and the results or the creative act is doing something
2: different for you now, since these things have happened. I, th- I think it is different for everybody. And I'm, I'm always like reluctant to say how that should go, because, I mean, to be honest, I, I, whereas I do find creativity a solace, that I've had a battle the last two years trying to keep motivation around photography and the YouTube channel going. It hasn't had this effect of like, I'll just get stuck into making images and that'll make me feel better. I've had to keep going because it's my job. Um, Whereas somebody else might go, well, I've just, you know, I'm going through a really tough time, but photography's rescued me. Going out and taking images every day has made me feel better. I think it could go either way. And I don't think you should give yourself a hard time for it. because. There's no, there's no right answer to it. You just, you just have to work out what do you need right now. And, and honestly, that's why I said earlier, like I'm not too precious about which mode of um, creative expression is working for me right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, honestly, to be, to be very frank, I'm getting more fulfillment out of discussions around the book and giving live talks around the book and being able to speak in mm-hmm. public again. Like that is giving, that's, that's giving me the juice more. Than the photography and the video work at the moment that doesn't mean they're going away i've got a skill set i love doing that stuff but it's just for some reason been a little bit of a struggle and i think i think it will come back if it doesn't i'm all right with that too you know if i if i end up walking away from this in the next you know four or five years and try something completely different that's okay i mean it's mm-hmm. it's all a journey and i've had to make so many changes in my life already That like what's one more you know it's it's it's, it's all going to be okay um, and it's for us, you know, that's the thing is like, it's, it's these things that we do these, these things that we make that we give the world, that we say fulfill us, if it really is for us, we we don't have to act like our own dictatorial bosses wagging our fingers, you really have to produce, you know, I think there's, we, we can be kind to ourselves and go, you know what, If if this, if this isn't about me having to pay my mortgage this month, and I actually don't, I'm not into this right now, find something else, try something else, experiment with something else. And Find something that gives you back um, your motivation, and gets you excited, and gets you gets you fired up again. I think it's okay, and it doesn't mean that you're killing this thing that you love. It just means maybe you're putting it away for a season and coming back to it mm-hmm. when you've got some fresh ideas or you're at a different place. Um, yeah. So I, uh, sorry that was a long winded, but I, I, it nope, is different uh, for everyone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, r- related to what you're saying, Sean. Though um, I've, I've asked this question. Who did I ask uh, My my friend, Gene photographer who used to be in Brooklyn, and he's my best friend. He Brooklyn, now he's in Santa Fe, and we used to talk about um, our photography, I brought this question up to him, our, is our photography bigger than us? Mm-hmm. And, and the way I relate that, uh, I recently I was thinking I'm looking at my uh, bookshelf, and I'm looking at all the books that I have. A lot of photo photo books, a lot more photo books since I met Ward. Um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I'm really happy about that. But I realize, you know, books are one of those things that you don't really own, that you have for a while. And then, you know, should you disappear from the planet somehow that, you know, someone goes through your stuff and those books go on to, you know, into a recite, not a recycle bin, they go to the library or they go to another bookstore and someone else buys them. And, and I realize I'm just sort of the caretaker of these books, which is funny because I think I own them. Mm-hmm. I don't, anyway, I was thinking about that in terms of photography or photographs um, that you're right. You know, if we we use photography as a way to make us feel better and if we don't want to do it, it's fine. And we're not really doing it for other people, obviously. But I was beginning to wonder because you you were mentioning, and again, it was just a video I was watching. I can't remember which one of yours, but um, maybe it was the one with your grandfather and you were looking at the pictures from his photo album mm-hmm. and um saying your photography is a legacy and I began to think that um our pictures, the the photography we make isn't just for us, it's bigger than us. That it's you know, for this future generation, it's showing people the way we live now. Um and so that we're we're sort of tied to some responsibility of continuing that. We don't have to do it today, or do it tomorrow, but we're drawn to do that because our photography is bigger than us. It's almost not ours anymore. We're, we're caretakers, even of our own photography. I mean, Mm. what do you think about that? Or is that just like,
2: (laughs) no, no, no. I I, I've done a lot of thinking about legacy stuff recently. And I, 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 I think there's the older you get, I think there is definitely this, this thing that creeps up on you saying, well, I want to leave something behind, you know, this idea that I'm not going to be here forever, but I'd like to leave something behind that outlives me. That would be nice. Um, in all honesty, I don't think I have produced any photography personally that is going to outlive me. But um, really, what do you mean? No, Why no. Why do I you don't. say that? Yeah. Well, because I don't. I don't think I've actually. I mean, in terms of I, I, people have this idea. I think that because I have a YouTube channel and you know uh, that, that ostensibly tackles photography as a subject that I'm that I'm a great photographer I don't see myself that way I think I'm serviceable and I've taken some interesting images but there's no body of work that I've produced yet and I say yet because I will it's just I haven't got around to it yet because I I have been making videos and writing books and doing a, a mix of things but there's no there's no monograph out there with my name on it where I've where I've tackled a subject matter with a camera to say something that I think is important to say, I just don't have that kind of work. And I think that's the kind of stuff that lives after you. Um, Mm -hmm. But the book that I wrote, I think stands a chance of living after me. So I'm okay with that, you know, I'm okay with that some things I've done, stand more of a chance and and, and I'm going to work on other things as well as I go and try and leave as many things behind as I can that 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 will say something after I'm gone. And I do try as much as possible to make work that is timeless or stands a chance of, of being relevant. I mean, I'm I, I'm very conscious on my YouTube channel, for example, of, of making videos that hopefully people can watch in 50 years, and they'll still have the same problems that they're tackling. I'm not I'm not, I'm not reviewing the last Fuji camera that came out because that's that's relevant this year and never again. I'm trying to mm-hmm. do things that will that will matter to artists in 50 years as much as it, as it does today, which is, is I think what the book does. Um, and even in terms of the photographs we take, I, I try as much as possible. Um, when I'm out and about to think about not just i mean, this is the problem, if I'm honest, is that a lot of us are looking online for what photography is popular. And we're going, how can I do a version of this yeah. photograph that everyone else likes, because then I'll get likes, uh, instead of going, and, and then of course, all you're doing is you're taking you're taking a, a, a copy of something someone else has done, because you think it will get you a bit of attention. Instead of saying, what is my photographic voice? What do I see in the world that I think needs capturing and showing to people and not just people on Instagram today in exchange for likes, but, but will mean something to people 50 years from now. And and the classic example is like, I hear so many photographers complaining, oh, it's so difficult as a street photographer going out because everyone's got their face in their phones. Like, yeah, but the complaint in the 1950s was everyone's got a trilby hat on and got the head in a newspaper, but that's the image we all want now. Like, yeah. things date differently, things look differently down the road. So what is it going to look like to people in 50 100 years time when they look back at now with all of us standing on the, out, out in the streets at night lighting up our dumb faces with this <laughs> with this brick in our hands that's throwing light. That's interesting, right? It's not now it's too it's too common. I mean, that the, the guy the photographer, a friend of mine, Joshua Jackson, who shoots down in London, um, he he's, he's taught me a lot, like watching how he works, because he's shooting 1012 projects at a time, and he's got folders on his desktop, and they're all going into these folders. But he says, like, this folder, this folder, this folder, I can't show this work for 2030 years, because this is too common now, but I know it will be interesting then. Mm-hmm. And that long historical approach to making work, making visual work, I think is is something we all need to keep in mind and something that the social media unfortunately doesn't reward and we're not paying attention enough to the big picture we're too focused on that you know that that daily score that we get for something that we posted so yeah that legacy history stuff is is definitely on my mind
1: cool. um one of my favorite videos on on your stream is the one on self-portraiture mm. and being myself kind of cursed with being interesting looking, um, <laughs> um it, it's one of my favorite videos and I, I would, I would consider it like a lesson in self care, mm. you know, see yourself from another angle. Um, and, and the thing that occurred to me when I was watching it, was kind of a way to, to discover yourself, discover yourself physically alongside your impulses as a, as a photographer, uh, express yourself creatively that way. Um, have you been keeping up with that? Are you, uh, you, you know, you, are you still learning lessons from that? Um, from, you know, or, or even think about it cause I, you know, there are things that I would like to do or ideas that I have of shoots that I would like to do in the spring because I'm in the dead of winter now here in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and it, it motivates me and I'm just wondering if there's something, uh, you know, uh, with the self portraiture that you're
2: finding, if you're still making discoveries. I haven't for a little while um, since that what that would have been, I think, uh, maybe March, a couple of years back. Um, So there was that and that was very, very deliberately because my wife had just walked out and I was trying to work out who the hell am I and that was Mm -hmm. that was a an exercise in trying to see myself better It was when I was doing a lot of introspection about who am I in the world. So it really aided that I haven't been as deliberate since but it's It's definitely on the cards. I I think it's a good thing to come back to regularly. Um, Because I mean, in the in the video, I make the point that I don't think a lot of us have a good idea of who we are and what we look like. And that's and most of us have have a much more negative idea of ourselves than everyone else does. Because we kind of conspire with mirrors, you know, we we look at ourselves at exactly the same angle, we try hide our perceived flaws. But everyone else Mm -hmm. sees us every day and thinks we're great. And they don't even give that stuff a second thought. And if we can get a glimpse of who other people see by photographing ourselves from angles we're not used to or in interesting light, we get to discover maybe who we are and hopefully, I mean, this was definitely the experience for me and I think it is for everyone else who who really kind of tries to get as vulnerable with this as possible, is that you end up liking yourself more afterwards, realizing that actually we, give our, we do give ourselves much too hard a time. Um, and at least if we even if we don't like ourselves more afterwards, at least we're more aware of what our issues are. And that's mm. something to go and talk to somebody about and and work through. Um, at least at least it's a, the start of facing that stuff. Yeah.
0: It's interesting, because it, it wasn't. Um, don't know if I saw your video before or after. Uh, I did a self portrait not too long ago. I think I've seen your video beforehand, so I think it was probably inspired. Plus, you know, yes, we go through something really significant, and you know, uh, like for me, I never did self-portraits before. You know, Mm. I'm not counting selfies because they're not those are (laughs) self-portraits at all. Uh, Some sometimes some of them are. I've done selfies that are or uh, portraits anyway, but. I experimented with, and it's funny that you said mirrors, because I photographed myself in a mirror. I have this, mm. uh, we have these mirrors on our wall that are sort of it's, um, a bunch of broken mirrors or uh, section mm. mirrors. And I caught my, my myself in that mirror and I looked at it and I was like, you know, because it's all broken up and it's breaking my face up into different things. And I was like, that's kind of how I feel, mm. uh, especially after uh, Elizabeth died, mm. or at least um, it's a way of expressing, there's, I don't know how I, can express a feeling in the mirrors but there's some, like a lot of different me's that are going yeah. on and so uh so i gave it a shot and i did a bunch of versions of it and i posted it up uh i think on i can't remember frames frames page on facebook and i i added the story to it what i thought was going on with me at the time <clears throat> and it got i got a lot of got a lot of response and I was surprised uh, by it. Cause I don't think it was a great picture. It's a good picture, but I don't think it was great. But you know, the talking about it in conjunction with the picture got, you know, a lot of uh, people interacting with it. And it wasn't, that wasn't what I was after. I was really just after sort sure. of expressing myself uh, to it. So um, anyway, I'm not I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I did wanna, uh, what I wanted to mention about self portraits is interesting because First of all, it's good to be in front of the camera because we put everybody else in front of the camera. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, we might as well see what it's like to be on the other side. But the other part of that is how do you interpret yourself? You're playing two roles when you're doing self portraiture, the creative person behind the camera, and then the, the collaboration with you on the other side of the camera, how do you want to see yourself? And it's like of two, it's almost of two different minds. Um, and so I don't have a question here, but no, no. I wanted, I wanted to, I, I really wanted to, uh, sort of encourage you to, to do more of that. Cause that picture of you that you took, I think you said it was in a hotel room or something, mm-hmm. the black and white, um, was, you know, there's, there's a, there's a bit of the, um, rodin feeling in it the way mm. the way your body was positioned mm-hmm. and i i'm curious about that in terms of like you as the photographer because you position yourself yeah. and you frame yourself and uh, what were you th- like let me say what were you thinking but did, did, were you <laughs> aware were you of this <laughs> kind of stuff were you aware of being the two the two sides <laughs> sorry yeah. you know? yeah. but I, I again i'm sort of you know, I go off on these tangents so if you know me this is what I do squirrel sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but I wanted to sort of discuss that a little bit as a self-portrait the importance of being a, a both sides of the camera and then how you talk about you know giving yourself a break and how do you see yourself um, is, can you go into that a little bit I don't know if we, I'm gonna stop talking let you talk
2: yeah I mean the the, the story with that particular one was I I, I was in a hotel room uh, and I caught a glimpse of myself lying on the bed watching TV and for some reason in a split second I I, I saw a skinny teenager um, until you know sometimes you do see yourself in the mirror walking past you don't instantly recognize yourself you're like oh oh that's me <laughs> do you know what I mean and I think I had to go yeah that's how I've, I've always felt I, I think I was always a skinny kid in school all the other guys were sort of you know bulking up and gymming and Playing rugby and whatever else, and I was the I was the skinny kid who just felt less manly for that because that wasn't you know I, I, that that wasn't manly. I, if the guys with the muscles were the manly ones, and I thought in that moment I thought, hang on a minute, but I've grown up enough now. Like that's a very very old script I've got running that, that I don't pay much attention to anymore, but it is in there in the back somewhere. And so I propped up a little. Uh, there was a nice bit of light coming in through the window on on one of the chairs. And I thought that that I'd actually taken a shot of the light already. I thought, hang on, what if I just sat in the chair and took a shot there um, as vulnerable as I can. And um, so I just sat in that bit of light and took the photograph. And I, I remember looking at it thinking, yeah, I mean, that, that is a guy who, who gives himself a really hard time about, about how he looks or who he is you know, he's got scarring on his skin, he is quite skinny, he's, you know, he's always thought of himself as, as as less of a stereotypical man because of stuff like that. But I also looked at it and went, I like that guy. That's, that's actually quite an interesting person. And I don't, I don't, I don't hate that actually, objectively, because there's something about taking a photograph of yourself that's not a selfie, that's not from straight front on, that's not a traditional shot of yourself, that is almost taking a, a photograph of an unknown angle of yourself, which helps you to look at that image as if it's not you, mm-hmm. more objectively going like, oh, mm-hmm. who's that? Who's that? And then suddenly going like, oh, I don't know, but I, I talk to that person. That's an interesting person. Oh, but that's me. Maybe that's how other people see me. Maybe they see me like that. And maybe, maybe I go around with this very negative script in my head for no reason. Maybe if that's who they see, I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. In fact, I like that. So I think things like that can be really, really healing. Um, certainly was for me. And that was the start of a little process for me, that shot.
0: Yeah. And I was thinking that, uh, you know, you were mentioning before, we always see ourselves in mirrors,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? I mean, unless I'm looking like this, I can't, I, you know, yeah. but when you take a picture of yourself, you are seeing yourself as if someone else is seeing you, you know, your right side is your right side, not your right is your left, like in a mirror yeah so you are literally seeing yourself the way another person would see you um so anyway it's something i i want to do more of myself i'm i'm you know curious about the body exploration part i'm not Mm. so sure about that but you would somewhere along the line i'm sure you mentioned like the stuff that's hard or the stuff that you don't want to do is probably the stuff you should do you know I think so.
2: And, and and you don't have to show anyone. That's the thing is I right. think we, we assume that if we're taking photographs is to put on social media. I think I, I took way more photographs in that whole process than I showed the internet because it wasn't for them, it was for me. Yeah. But the but the healing work came from just doing the taking the images and looking at them. I, I shared a few, but I didn't share most because it's not what it was for.
0: Yeah, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, you don't have to show all these pictures. No. Um at all there's there's no reason to but
2: uh you have to give yourself permission to say that as well because otherwise you you won't take the images you need to because you'll play it safe if you if you have to show the world every photograph you take that that you'll 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 over control it and you won't be vulnerable you'll you'll try and look cool yeah i think the point is to not do that
0: in general too i mean you know we're so used to taking taking pictures and putting them up and taking pictures and putting them up and taking pictures and putting them up we're feeding i don't know what we're feeding but we keep or actually maybe not feeding ourselves we're feeding somebody else or something else yeah uh and we do this sort of automatically now these days i mean when, when you know i say when we were growing up we didn't have social media and the only way to get your pictures out there were you know whatever like you know your pictures sat on your shelf until maybe a art director looked at it or you know, you went to a book publisher, but those pictures didn't go out all the time. And now we've turned into this machine, which who knows how many pictures are being taken every day. Most of it's not good. you No, know, a lot of it's just recording, but um, this this constant keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. And, and, and someone, you know, of of your stature or, or, or even on the show can say, no, you can stop. Take the pictures, put them on your hard drive, look at them next year you don't have to keep pushing up because you know um maybe in a year you'll think those pictures aren't any good anyway you know so um anyway i just wanted to say that yeah um i think we're at about time actually cool. i didn't want to keep you too long sean um, you right. I, I appreciate the time but can do you have anything coming up any events or uh things that you want to share um that are coming up or
2: uh, not not really. I, I'm doing I'm doing some talks around the book. Uh, I'm in um, Edinburgh in February. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, and then hopefully in Germany in a few cities in uh, April, and then I am trying to make my way to the states in June. But America don't make it easy. To over and <laughs> really? Do talks. Okay. Oh no, so it's, yeah. So uh, just trying to work out um, what sort of. Uh, visas need to happen and the rest of it because yeah it's very very tight over there and I don't feel like getting deported so I'm, I'm gonna oh okay I was I'm gonna say gonna, though, if
0: you come if you come to New York hang out we'll, uh, I'd like to buy you a coffee or something
2: sounds great man
0: yeah and where can we find you on the internet So where would where would we be looking for you
2: um just uh, search my name uh, S, uh, Sean Tucker S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K-E-R on uh YouTube S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K on uh YouTube, not YouTube. Instagram. Uh, same on Twitter at Sean Tucker on both, and then my website is just Sean Tucker dot photography.
0: All right, Sean, I uh, really appreciate you uh, agreeing to be on the show and spending some of your Friday evening with us. Um, I'm grateful for that, so thank you so much. No this worries. Great.
2: Appreciate it's it. Nice to that. hang out with you both. Thanks. Yeah. All right.
0: And have a great night. Okay. Thanks.